Libby Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today we have Chase Parham on what he's seen from Ole Miss so far in fall camp. A couple position battles where Ole Miss has depth, maybe where it doesn't, the quarterback competition, and much more regarding the Rebels as they're almost a week into camp now. And we talk some conference realignment stuff, the death of the Pac-12 and a little bit of everything that goes with that at the end. So buckle up. Thank you. Enjoy it. Before we do, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you, this podcast is brought to you by C Spire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with C Spire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable internet connection for you and your family. That's why C Spire Home Internet provides the most reliable internet service with 99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves on having the best customer service in the market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama region. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. That's a lot of bits. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com today and use promo code RIPPY and check out for one month of free service. So my listeners, if you sign up for Cspire Home Internet, I have it at my place. It's terrific. I couldn't be doing this podcast without it. Can't be having internet going in and out. If you sign up today for Cspire Home Internet and use the promo code RIPPY, you get one month of free service. Take advantage of that today. Cspire, customer inspired. Podcast is also brought to you by RentTheSipOxford.com. Are you planning up to come to Oxford soon? Maybe if you've been slacking on reserving a place, RentTheSip Oxford has you covered. Their Turnberry unit sleeps eight comfortably. It has amenities such as tennis courts, a pool, a spa. It is gated. It is less than a mile from the Ole Miss campus right there on Old Taylor Road, straight shot to Swayze Field, almost a straight shot to Vaught-Hemingway Stadium, and of course, almost a straight shot to the Grove as well. Go to rentthesipoxford.com to check availabilities. They have openings still for Vandy, ULM, and Mercer football weekends. This is a terrific place in a prime location, particularly on big weekends. It can be hard to find a place, or maybe you're just passing through and don't want to screw with the hotel on a random weekday. You need to check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. It is one of the best places to stay in town. Book your stay today. Go online, rentthesipoxford.com, and check availabilities. If you use the promo code RIPPYRIGHTS, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, rights, R-I-T-E-S. I don't know why I had to spell that part for you. You get 100 bucks off any two-night stay minimum. Check them out, rentthesipoxford.com. Great people, Bracken Ray, friend of the pod, would not steer you the wrong way. Check them out today, rentthesipoxford.com. All right, here is Chase Parham. All right, we now welcome on Rebel Grove's Chase Parham. We are back in the, I guess we'd call it in-season mode. It just feels like things are moving and shaking. Ole Miss has started fall camp. They started last Wednesday with Lane Kiffin's media day. This is certainly a uh, better time of year than the last couple of months that we came out of. It's a nice cycle to kind of recalibrate and then kind of get back into, I saw Neil called it grind mode. Um, I would don't know if I'd call it that as this is a hobby for me, but just back into the looking for stories, looking for things to talk about and really feeling like you're in a routine again. Are y'all kind of feeling the same way? 
Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if adrenaline is the word, um, because that is not fair to people who do really important things for a living, like public service workers and, you know, policemen and firefighters and things along that, that line, doctors, surgeons. But there is a certain amount of energy that comes with August getting here, you know, and I, I like sort of the way I did it. It was it was it was not by design. It was by accident. But I sort of took a final vacation, uh, took a few days, kind of did that. And then there was something about this vacation to where my mind the entire time was going, hey, that would be a good guess. That would be a good guess. This would be a story. And I sort of started moving that way in, in my brain. And I think it's because of the calendar being where it is. Yeah. You know, I've. I, I, I usually am, uh, it kind of takes a week or two to really get into that mode and to feel that energy when we get into camp. And there was something about Wednesday with media day where I was kind of there automatically and immediately. I think that between that and that Thursday night, night practice, um, the team's been fun. They've been fun to cover. Um, I, I know it's, they, I have not even seen them in shoulder pads cause I was not at Saturday's practice. Neil handled that one. But just sort of everything about them is really interesting from a from a program and from a roster right now. And Lane was really good on Wednesday. I thought it was one of his more dialed in interviews from a local media standpoint. So a lot of stuff kind of led to it um, because, you know, I was talking, I may have mentioned this on the Oxford Exxon podcast. I don't remember, but I was talking to a couple of Ole Miss media relations people. And when you get transfers, they're typically a little more seasoned, a little better speakers. It's a business for them. They they have a better idea of their goals that are manageable. Um, they were really cool to talk to on Wednesday, and I think that that helped me sort of move into this next mode and and know the guys a little bit better than I did. And yeah, I, I think I'm I'm pretty juiced up here as we have, uh, I guess, just under a month until the first game. This time, four weeks from now, they will have already played a football game. Yeah, the transfer thing is really fascinating because as I started writing something for the newsletter last week and get that back cranked up, is I was going through their roster and I didn't want to do like a literal position by position breakdown, even though piece of it turned into that by default. But it was kind of crazy to me about the amount, like you remember each one when it happens and each guy that they get, but then you kind of forget the totality of it. And I just like was going through the roster and was like, oh damn, that's right. This guy's here. Uh, the Stefan Wynn kid from Nebraska, the a billion cornerbacks that they brought in through the portal it's I don't know if it's a from like our end in terms of like feeling like you're prepared or not a good thing or a bad thing but it's just like I remember all of them doing this I remember the roster turnover as it happened but now when you look at it and it's like somewhat final version I'm like wow there's a ton of new here and there were honest to god some names that I had not thought about in three to four months that I had forgotten did you experience the same thing those two stats that I I guess had you thought about it you would have figured it out but with Lane Mission at the press conference is one they had a potential starting 11 on defense out there, and Cedric Johnson was the only one who was signed by Ole Miss out of high school, out of the 11, um, for a wow. potential starting group. And then the other one that maybe is even more fascinating is taking out the offensive line. There are only three players on the roster who um, signed with Ole Miss out of high school that are scholarship players, if you take out the offensive line, that are juniors and seniors, sorry, that are juniors or seniors who have been there three or four or more years at that point. I mean, it is just, it's just fascinating the amount of turnover that's happened. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a story that I probably will come out on Tuesday because I got practice tomorrow and it'll probably take me a good bit of tomorrow to write it. Um, but even the players themselves, they've had to sort of figure out guys' names, their tendencies, their personalities. I had multiple players tell me they felt like coaches a little bit because they knew guys by their numbers, but not their names. They'd be like, Hey, Hey, eight, Hey, nine, Hey, 27, like whatever it was. 
So yeah, it's a it, it's 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 what Lane talked about a ton last year, and it remains true. I mean, one of the biggest storylines of this team is continuity, how these guys mold together, how you combine them with the guys that have been here for a while, how you sort of get everybody gelled into one to one team going into this season, especially with the schedule being what it is with four, five, and six, those weeks being so critical to their success with Alabama, LSU, and Arkansas back, back, back. I get two lanes week two, but I, as I've talked about on multiple podcasts, I, I think that's an overplayed game. I think Ole Miss wins it, not handedly or in a blowout, but comfortably enough. Um, but there's not a lot of not a lot of time to really get seasoned. I mean, you're talking about this these weeks being very critical because, as Lane says, there are no preseason games. I mean, there technically is one because you play Mercer in week one, but it's not like you got weeks of, hey, we're going to practice against the Patriots and we're going to do this and we're going to work on this. You've got to get a lot of that intangible stuff, a lot of the, the the stuff kind of out of the way because you don't have time for that once the season begins. And I don't want to rehash the – I'm sure you guys on your podcast have talked about it ad nauseum too, just the commitment to the portal and Kevin's reasoning for it. And so I'll just like leave it with one broad question. I wrote something on Thursday. I don't remember if it actually made it in the newsletter or not, but I had it and I thought it was just an interesting line. It's like it, feel, it does feel like we're watching an experiment in real time. He does know that he's committed to this – more so than maybe just about any other coach in the country. Weldon brought up that Bill Connolly stat where last year there were four coaches that brought 16 or more transfers. Three were first-year head coaches. The other was Lane Kiffin. This year there were four coaches, maybe five, I can't remember, that brought in 25 or more. Two of those were first-year head coaches. The other year was second-year head coach, Rhett Lashley at SMU, and the other was Lane Kiffin. Like, do you actually, like, do you feel like we're watching an experiment play out in real time? We're watching a guy that's clearly very smart, that clearly believes in a plan, uh, and we don't know the answer. You know, it's it's what I thought made him so fascinating on Wednesday, if you read Neil's what he said, what he meant, or just the transcript, or you watch the video, is that he was honest. And, yes, in a perfect world, there's a lot more high school players in classes. You rely on the high school classes. You don't rely as much on the portal, and you hope that you get there as a program as, mo- as it moves forward. But right now – the rules are their rules, and he has to manipulate those in the best way that suits Ole Miss football from a team and a program standpoint, and he's worried about it. It would be dumb not to be worried about it. I mean, he said, look, I, I like the team I've put together, and I like the pieces because, look, here's the truth, and it, it was maybe the line of the press conference, is if you get out there and you don't have the pieces and you can't run and you can't tackle, well, then you know you're going to be shit at that point. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. so at least you have to have this ability – to see where it goes, but you're still seeing where it goes. You don't know how these guys are going to gel together. So, yeah, it's it's 100% an experiment to whatever degree. Everybody in the country is doing some level of an experiment because we've only had the portal and NIL in the situation that it is for a couple of years now. But from a multi-year head coach, nobody's doing it more or in a, an experimental fashion more than Lane Kiffin. And then from a first-year head coach, nobody's doing it more than Deion Sanders. So, yeah, you're going to look at both those situations and go, hey, We'll see where it goes, and it's a team that a lot of people see in the top 25, maybe the top 20 in the country. They've got a lot of guys back. Offensively, I kind of think I know who they are. I mean, I'm still – I don't know if worried, but something with the wide receivers because they're so inexperienced. We'll see where that goes. But then on defense, I mean, this is just a collection of dudes that you're hoping when you put them out there, they play you know, a, a, a brand of football that has some continuity about it. Pete Golding has been praised for his ability to dumb things down, to make people play fast, to make sure they know where they're going and have some freedom. Well, that's job A, because if you're playing with a really rigid defensive system, forget it. The guys don't have time to figure that out. They don't have time to learn each other. 
what Golden is being being uh, praised for and for his acclaim in these last week and really since spring, I don't know how true it is because you always get a lot of Pollyanna and a lot of everybody's great in the fall, so we can't see until the games start. But if it is accurate, it is it is the only way that this thing works, and it's a good thing Ole Miss has who ha- has who they have on the staff because you know the the absolute key is making things simple enough to understand while also getting letting guys make plays and, and roam around without it being a detriment that you're just too simple that you're not stopping anybody. Yeah, it's crazy to look at the defensive roster because like particularly in the secondary, you return DeAndre Prince, but the other corner slot in the nickel slot is going to be filled by transfer. There's like seven or eight of them in the mix. I guess you could again, there could always be a position change or something like that where a kid that's been on the roster before. But, like, it seems like if you put eight guys in the mix for those two spots, it's probably going to be a transfer, which is kind of crazy to think about because it's not only finding a competent starter, but you're going to have injuries. So it's also about finding a dude that can come in and replace and maybe not be 22 deep on the defense, but somewhere close to it and closer than they've been in years past, which I don't know if that's easier to do through the portal. I don't know if it's harder, but it's going to be damn interesting to watch. I just find the whole – Having two posi- two positions open in the secondary, and you know it's going to be a transfer. You know the backups probably going to be a transfer to kind of epitomize this whole thing. The defensive backfield in general, it's talented and it's comical because of the number of transfers. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and again, it's it's a lot of dudes, and I and I think it's the way college football is going. This is not a criticism. They all kind of look the same. They sort of all have the same skill set. They do a lot of the same things, but. You know, you hope that that does mean you have a very successful rotation that's deep enough because that's why everybody gets caught up on depth charts. It's not about a depth chart. It's not about one deep or two deep. It's about how many people can play SEC football and what are the positions they do in doing so. I mean, Ole Miss doesn't need two wide receivers to start or four wide receivers in a two deep. They need six wide receivers to play in a rotation to whatever degree that requires. So, you know, I, I think, it. I think again, I think we're just learning. I think we're seeing a new brand of football. I think we're seeing so many different things and – the defensive backfield is just the – I mean, you talk about this seems like a science experiment in a way. That's the center of the laboratory where they're pulling into the, you know, the the, the beaker or whatever right now because it, it is it is the area that will dictate so much about this Ole Miss defense, and it's a defense that needs to be a little better. They were 57th nationally last year. Um, you know, look, they're not going to be a top 15 defense. That's not required. That's almost impossible because of the way they run tempo and run plays offensively. But can they take that next step? Can this can this thing work? Can it move in the right direction? And can they be a top 50, top 45, top 40 defense for Ole Miss that's going to you know try to manage this very difficult schedule and find a way to to, to a number or whatever that number is that, that makes people happy? I mean, you know, expectations are funny here. I think a lot of people are kind of seeing eight and four as the start of what would be somewhat, you know, content. Yeah, and then you move to linebacker, and that's another one where you got two returning. The crazy, this like the safety piece of it too. You return two starters. It's probably why we haven't talked about it as much. But both of those starters were first year transfers last year, and Ashim Young and Ladarius Tennyson. So like your two, where you feel more established is just a second year transfer guy, and then you kind of go to the linebacker piece of it. And I guess that's where I'll ask you next. Like how much throughout media day was uh, Perkins brought up? How do, do you have you gotten a sense at all that he's going to have to be on the field, will be on the field? It's always tough with 18 year old freshmen, particularly if they're not there for spring. What sense do you get about what he role he could play early on? And by early on, I don't mean this year, I mean in like the first four games. Yeah, you know, we, they, again, they haven't put pads on, shoulder pads rolling on Saturday. You don't know exactly how he's going to move around where he's having to remember assignments. And, you know, it's a, it's a big change for him. I mean, he was at Raleigh the last time he was in a full padded thing. 
um, but you know, from a, in a game standpoint, he was winning a state title for Raleigh and I guess three A football, whatever they are, something like that. And he was the best athlete on the field and could just roam around and do everything. And he did do everything there for that team. And now he's having to play in a system, but he jumps off the page. You watch him in team drills. You watch him in seven on seven. He's just so damn athletic. I mean, he's fluid. He's long. He moves well. He he looks exactly like you would want him to look as a freshman coming onto the field. Um, he's going to have to play because he's just too talented not to play. The question is going to be how many plays can you get out of him for the transition from a physical condition standpoint? And also, can he learn the entire package, half the package? Does he just have these two packages? And that's something that we we we, we probably won't personally see. We'll talk to people, so we'll be able to have an idea. But I don't think we'll fully know that until the first game because I think this past Saturday was the only Saturday we get access. So we won't see the scrimmages where we see what he looks like in those situations. Um, but no, I mean, just lining up everybody, what they look like, the athletic ability they have, he's already 1A. I mean, he looks as good as anybody else over there. He roams around. He is uh, a linebacker that moves like a, a defensive back, and he is a defensive back that has the size of a linebacker. So he can do so many things well that I think the bigger key for Golding is trying to figure out how to maximize the plays that he's in the game. And also the position and the moving around that makes the most sense for him and for the 11. Um, I've been, from a linebacker standpoint, I've been really impressed with him in those ways. And then I've been just in general really impressed with Monty Montgomery, the transfer from Louisville, that uh, he has a lot of high personal expectations. He comes to this Ole Miss team um, playing a lot of middle, um, but but moving around a good bit. Um, he is obsessed with Michael Parsons for the Cowboys. Um, he he's yeah. trying to tailor. I mean, you know, it's one of those like, duh. You know, hey, who do you play like? Well, you know, obviously they're not mentioning some random backup for somebody, but he uh, he 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 is very much confident in the way that he goes about playing linebacker. And I think between Montgomery and Perkins in different ways, they've got a pretty good foundation right there. What sense did you get about the quarterback position? Was it similar to post-spring where it was a lot of praise with Dart and you don't really know how that's actually going to shake out? How real do you think this quarterback competition is? Do you think it's two people? Do you think it's three? How do you actually view this? Uh, I think it's two. Um, and I say that because – and it's just one day, again, they haven't put pads on. They haven't had a full pad scrimmage. Let me repeat that for the the, the, the gallery multiple times. But I thought Thursday night was somewhat enlightening. Uh, they did team drills toward the end of practice. They had seven on seven and then 11 on 11. And during the majority or all of it, I, I may have been all of it now that I'm really thinking about it, Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders took every rep with the ones and the twos. They alternated. It looked like they were kind of battling over there. And then Walker Howard and Austin Simmons were running everything with the reserves beyond the two deep or whoever was – in on that first team, second team at that point. And that's kind of been the way it is. I mean, Walker Howard is challenging for the starting job. It's been in, in his mind. He's doing everything he should be doing. He's a damn good quarterback. But nobody was expecting him to be the starting quarterback. This is Jackson Dart or Spencer Sanders, and it's Spencer Sanders trying to catch Jackson Dart. Um, they both look better than they did even in the spring. I think Dart looks more comfortable. He looks healthy enough on that knee. He's wearing a brace or a sleeve on that left knee, but he's running around. He's scrambling. I don't notice any side effects in a negative way from it. Um, and he's just more poised. He's making better decisions. He's being a little more patient. He's doing a lot of things that you would want him to do with that progression. And if you're Jackson Dart, you know, your, your, your level of what do you expect or what your goals are, you want to make the same type of jump from year one into year two in Lane Kiffin's system that Matt Corral did. I mean, I think that's a legitimate thing that you should have in your head that you're trying to do. 
And he does seem to have ownership of the team. I mean, he he looks like the best leader out there. He looks like the guy that understands the team the best. He's coaching other players. If you don't know anything about the situation at the position, Jackson Dart looks like the starting quarterback. So I think something would have to happen for someone to catch him for that not to be the case. But Spencer, the shoulder's healthy. He's throwing the ball better than he did in the spring the last time we saw him. Um He's good. He started 41 games in the Big 12 for Oklahoma State. It's not like he's chopped liver by any means. And he's right there in case something happened injury-wise or otherwise to Jackson Dart. So, almost his quarterback situation is in a good spot. Um, I, I think it's Dart's job, but I do think it's possible Sanders really, really pushes him the next couple of weeks. And, you know, Lane keeps getting asked. I mean, it's starting every press conference. Hey, what do you think about quarterbacks? Where is that situation at? And he's doing the right thing. You don't want to make the wrong decision. You don't want to rush saying somebody's a starter and then for the next two weeks, the other guy is just wiping the floor with them. Either way, whether that's Dart to Sanders or Sanders to Dart or whatever that looks like. When you have a quarterback room like this, patience makes all the sense in the world because you're also breeding competition. You're making those guys better because they don't know what it looks like every day. They don't know who's getting the first rep or the second rep or whatever. You're you're creating some adversity and some stimulus and in, in, in some very positive ways for Ole Miss as a quarterback room. And uh, you know, it's 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 fascinating because there's multiple SEC teams out there where I think Ole Miss has three quarterbacks on the roster better than any quarterback on the roster for some of these SEC teams. Um, led by Dart and Sanders, and then what Howard looks like as well. And I and I'll tell you, look, throw him in the lab, forget about him for a year or two. It's raw as all hell. Austin Simmons can throw the football. This kid who reclassified from twenty five to twenty three. He's seventeen years old though. Um, more so, more like twenty four to twenty three from an age standpoint. Um, he's going to help the baseball team in the spring, but just from a quarterback standpoint. He can really throw it. He's athletic. He moves well. He has no idea where it's going. He's, the accuracy has a lot of work to do from SEC level, but that that kid can play. I mean, it's if I'm buying or selling a really, really young stock in Austin Simmons, I'm definitely buying it. I was about to say, when it comes to baseball, one, to throw him in the lab piece could be a little bit of a loaded sentiment, but two, definitely don't forget about him for a couple of years because I think there is a pretty decent chance he helps them immediately versus a couple of years down the road. Have you gotten any? Yeah, hey, by the way, you get, yeah, by the way, you get 92 to 95 from the left side if you want to. Yeah, we'll take that. We'll see how that plays. Yeah, those don't really grow on trees, particularly not at the Ole Miss baseball program, which is a good thing for them as well. Have you got any sort of clarification on? Spencer Sanders' potential options if he does not win the starting job before the season, and do you think you'll get – you know, you used to have this thing where the coaches wouldn't declare a starter until after whatever period that was was ended to where you couldn't move around. Have you got any clarification on that? If you had to guess, is he here for the long haul if he loses the job? The one contingent in this question is just, just say he doesn't win it. I don't think don't know if that's the case, but what do you think happens if he doesn't? Is he here or is he not? He got frustrated with that question the other day and essentially said he's just competing for the job and it is what it is. I, what I don't know, and I've even asked some people, and nobody seems to have a real firm answer, um, and I'm still being a bad journalist. I need to get better and really get a, a, a firm 100% answer, is that he just doesn't have enough hours to graduate from Ole Miss. I mean, you, you have to take a certain number of classes. I mean, as I mentioned, you can't, you can't take 120 hours at – Washington State, go to Stanford for three and go, oh, I've got a Stanford degree. It's not how that works. Right. Um, so he has work to do academically, but I think he's here. I mean, because here's the deal. 
he knew Jackson Dart was on the roster when he showed up. Nothing that has happened to this point has been a surprise to Spencer Sanders, or at least it definitely shouldn't have. Now, Walker Howard may have been a surprise, but that doesn't matter. He only has one year left. It doesn't matter to Spencer Sanders what Ole Miss is doing in 2024 and moving on from that point. And Jackson Dart has been exactly the quarterback that you would expect him to be coming back from last season. So I think Spencer Sanders weighed options and went, hey, here's where we're going to sit. And if Jackson Dart sprains an ankle in week two, then Spencer Sanders is going to go into a football game probably at that point. So I, I between the NIL situation, what other teams were interested in him at the time, um, the fact that he couldn't even go to like another SEC school anyway because the deadline has passed and things along those lines. Um, I, I guess I wouldn't be stunned if he left and, and, and I'm missing something from his academic side, but – no, I, I I feel – I mean, I would definitely predict if I had to predict that he finishes the season in an Ole Miss uniform. What do you make of Ole Miss still adding to its roster, right? They get Cam Griffin – or Jam Griffin, excuse me, from uh, – Jam. Jam. I don't know. I've, I'm going to screw that up a couple of times, even though it's a three-letter name, from Oregon State. But just the sheer idea that they're adding to their roster while they're in camp. I know this all goes back to everything Lane Kiffin talked about on Thursday that we've already covered, but just from y'all's vantage point, covering it full time, it is kind of weird, right? Like you're covering it. You're like, all right, this is the team. This is what's going to happen. Like let's, let's look for storylines through camp. And then all of a sudden somebody else shows up. Like that's, that's pretty unprecedented. I don't know if you're getting difference makers at this point, but it's just kind of a weird thing that they're still adding to their roster a couple of days into preseason camp, because it's not really something that's ever been hap- happening before, at least not in a wide widespread manner you'd have some exceptions in the solely thing stuff like that but at least he was already there so like what do you make of that yeah lane referenced this on wednesday by saying it's one of the stranger things he's ever covered or ever dealt with because they're in camp and he doesn't know what a roster is going to be from one day to the next and it's still changing in real time to that degree um i I think jim griffin makes a ton of sense i I think that's actually a really big pickup They, they they needed one more running back just in case, because you look at it, you've got Quinshawn Judkins. You're going to manage his load to some extent. You know what you have. But Ulysses Bentley was banged up last year. Now, I like what he can do if he's healthy. Um, he's gained some weight. He's running in about 205 instead of 190 um, there from one point last year. But injuries happened in the SEC. And then Kedrick Wiscano, he's drawing a lot of buzz. He looks better than almost any freshman running back that's come into Ole Miss over my almost two decades covering the team just from a sheer – muscle, body, that kind of standpoint. But he is a freshman, so you don't know what that looks like. They, they need another dude who could carry the ball a little bit, do some things, and they get that with Griffin, who's been in with a couple different Power 5 schools. He was at Oregon State last year. You know, not a ton of carries, not a lot of success, but he's all right. So, yeah, to me, that was a no-brainer. I mean, that gives you some depth, gives you a dude who's been around before, and he's right there as a grad transfer with two years of eligibility remaining that can be in your roster. So, nah, that's – I think the stranger ones are the ones that are a little more complicated or the, the defensive backs. You know, you look at Chris Graves who came in. Um, there's a lot of optimism on him. They can get immediately eligible. So I, I think I mentioned this on the big show. There is a loophole in um, the transfer portal that if you have your aid pulled for non-disciplinary reasons, you can get waivers outside the transfer portal window. And that's what Graves is shooting for, for immediate eligibility there at, at Ole Miss. So, Maybe he gets it. If so, it throws another corner, another uh, defensive back into the fold there. And he's he's kind of a lottery ticket for me. Graves, a four-star kid out of high school, um, signs with Miami. He was a wide receiver turned corner. He has really good length, really good ball skills, but he's still learning the cornerback position. He's not technical at all um, there on that side of the field. He wasn't necessarily going to play for Miami a ton this year. So 
you know, you get multiple years of eligibility because of his situation, he's cheaper. It's a lesser NIL dollar because you don't know about immediate eligibility or what that thing looks like. Um, the one that remains kind of puzzling because it sounds like he has no chance of getting eligible and he's got whatever was going on that caused dis- a disciplinary dismissal is, is TJ Dudley there from Clemson. He's a, he's a heck of a player. Um, he's very, very, very talented, but that's, that, that's one you got to be really, really careful with as they move forward. We'll get back to Chase Parham in just a second, but I want to take a quick break to announce that this podcast is now brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for all college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering a perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgivable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked at the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modding mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. We got the Hall of Fame game up on a Thursday night. Football season is just around the corner. Go ahead and sign up for Skybox's NFL and college football picks package. They're the only way to profit in the long run. They're the professionals. You sign up. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can go all sports. You can go sports specific, whether it's NFL or college, whatever the case may be. I would just be an all-year, all-around access pass member. You'll save yourself money, and boom, they'll send you picks on a color-coded spreadsheet based off of unit, and you are more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. You're never going to make money this college football season. Just accept it now by going off your own liens and without having a system. These guys are professionals. It is all based off of math. Do yourself a favor and actually profit this college football season by signing up with skyboxsportspicks.com. Use that promo code RIPPY and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue in Oxford. Probably going to talk to Greg for a podcast later this week. Go in, see him, you're a Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrites.substack.com. You're about to get another newsletter from me, but you also get discounted meats. Right now, it's a six, three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just go show Grab Proof a subscription. He'll get you set up. Then go all find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. A crown jewel of Oxford, all kinds of delicious sausages, seafood, incredible cuts of meat. It's the best place in the world if you want to throw something on the grill. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Chase Parham. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting one in its own right. Wasn't necessarily shocking. Kiffin didn't get questions about specifics of that. Not that he would answer them anyway. Receiver, who Jackson Dart throws the football to? I think the offensive line could potentially just be better by default. I actually like where they sit from a depth standpoint. You got a couple of tackles coming back that are just a year more experience after trial by fire. I don't know if that was necessarily the plan, but hey, they'll benefit from it this year, presumably. But who catches the football? Do you have your eye more on the tight end room or the wide receivers? Because I know that's a little bit of a dumb question because you obviously need impact wide receivers, but 
whatever trig situation is coming into this year, you hope he kind of gets it together and can be a contributor. Caden Priestcorn is a super athletic guy who self-described his biggest strength of going up and getting the football right here on the show. How do you kind of view the pass catching options Ole Miss has? And do you have your eye on anything in particular? Is it more receivers or is it, how can they utilize a couple of tight ends that do a lot of different things? I'm fascinated by receiver because we see things in practice that makes sense that you go, hey, maybe, okay. I, I kind of see how that's going to be all right. When you step back, we've been fooled up, up by that before. Um, and, I'm, again, not saying it's going to go poorly. I don't know. Um, but I'm a little hesitant to completely say that transitions 1v1 from a wide receiver in practice to a wide receiver on game day. Um, the realistic but optimistic view is that Ole Miss might have a – way above average, borderline elite target in Trey Harris. Louisiana Tech transfer that's been exceptional in practice. Um, He has speed. He has body control. He's physical. He's really good. Um, Really, really, really good. He's been been phenomenal in practice to this point. Um, They have Aiden Williams coming out of uh, Ridgeland, the number one player in the state, um, depending on how you want to rein him and Perkins coming out. And he's exceptional. He's done a lot of good things. you know, he's dealing with some getting in football shape because he's a freshman. He's dealing with some some consistency issues because, again, he's a freshman. But overall, you know that he looks like an SEC receiver and how quick can he make that jump and how quick can he do special things in the SEC? It's possible. And then you just got a bunch of guys that have played a lot of SEC and a lot of Division One football. Jordan Watkins is a quality Division One wide receiver. Dayton Wade is a really good wide receiver that was a little undervalued last year. You know, is this finally the year that Jalen Knox does something that's, to me at least, and maybe he proves me wrong, is unexpected because he's just been banged up and hasn't done it, and I'm in sort of show-me mode there, not trying to be punny off him being a former Missouri wide receiver. But he needs to – he just kind of needs to actually do it in a game setting and and, and do it on a week-to-week basis. So, look, it's kind of like back to Lane Kiffin's pieces argument. I can look at it in an individual standpoint and go, yeah, no, no, there's there's pieces there. That makes sense to me. I, I get how that can be okay. But what if Trey Harris struggles a little bit because it is such a different thing when the when the whistle blows in an SEC game and moving up to that level? You know, what if Aiden Williams hits a wall in week five or week six because he's a freshman and that just kind of happens to freshmen a little bit? You know, I mean, there, there's there's a ceiling on Dayton Wade on what he can be, on J.J. Henry, on, on some of those guys. So – Ah, it's it is the biggest wait and see with the biggest volatility. I think the ceiling's really high. They could be an upper level SEC wide receiver group that's really talented and is borderline special. And everybody could sort of do that thing that's a little negative, but potentially expected out of them given where they are in their careers or where they're coming from and what that could look like. So I mean, wide receiver is. I mean, if you want to sit and just watch a group, that might be the group to watch because you're watching a lot of stuff in motion there that's pretty pretty good drama for this football season. And tight ends the same. I mean, pre-scoring is going to give you a steadiness. You know what you got. But, again, he's moving up from Memphis to Ole Miss after catching like eight touchdowns or something for the Tigers last year. Um, and then Trigg, who, again, on Saturday, he's kind of in the doghouse a little bit, frustrated. It just, it just doesn't stop. Um, and to this point, Michael Trigg has been what you fear out of the transfer portal is a guy that kind of did things for, you know, did, you know, left for a reason, um, kind of carried a little bit of reputation, got a second chance, and he still has a chance to make good on it, but it's time to go. I mean, you know, just couldn't get there last year, even prior to the injury. Um, it's just sort of stayed in the doghouse for a while, and then 
frustrated with his spot on the depth chart and some of his playing time right now. I, you know, so it's priest corn and then some questions. Kyron Heath can catch the football. Can he block? Where does he kind of sit on this? And that's sort of where their wide, their tight end room, sorry, is right now. Hudson Wolf is back in a black, no contact jersey. He's out there, but he is far away from helping in a football game, it seems like right now. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's trig is just this thing that sits over here with a blinking light where you go, is, is he going to show up and is he going to be the guy that is potentially there? Because if you're talking about just people who are physically talented for their positions, you can't have a conversation without Michael Trigg. It's impossible because he is that dude. But he's also the guy that's continually caused a problem or not exactly been balled in or whatever that is. And especially on this team, that doesn't work. Yeah. You mess up chemistry. You mess up continuity. That just can't happen. I mean, that ends up being – I'm not going to use the C word, but it ends up just being such a huge problem for this roster. So it's time for him to get it together if he's going to do that. And then it puts a lot of pressure on Priestcorn. I mean, it really does. I mean, you look around at what else is at that position. Caden Priestcorn has to be good. He's got to play. He's got to play and play well. I didn't know how much, if at all, you wanted to go to the trick thing because I know y'all put that in your practice notebook yesterday. If you want to read it, subscribe to rebelgrove.com. But the last thing on that part of it, too, is just like there's a sheer, and without reading too much into, and we don't know everything that was the case yesterday or whatever, but if your mentality is some version of I'm upset with where I am on the roster, well, that like borderline, borderline borders on delusion a little bit, does it not? Where would you expect to be at this point <laughs> after a year where you couldn't really get it together? And like you mentioned, kind of stayed in the doghouse. Why would you expect to be anywhere other than where you currently are? Like, well, and when you're talented, and, and here's the thing too, it's message sending. Yeah. You know how talented you are. If Michael Trigg is locked in, he's the best tight end on the roster, period. He's that good. So it's, it's just waiting on you to show up. I mean, if you're playing behind Kyron Heath, and again, I like Kyron Heath. I think he's, or Colin Heath, sorry. I think he's got a really, really, really good future, at least in certain things. I think he is an SEC football player. That is not a negative about him. Sure. But he's not Michael Trigg physically. So, I mean, if you're behind Heath, it's because you're doing something wrong that they're going, hey, dude, let's go. Get moving. Get get in it. I mean, in a perfect world, Lane Kiffin and Charlie Weiss have Priest Corn and Trigg out there together catching balls in the middle of the field, just absolutely ruining defenses in the scene. That's the way that would work if you would let Lane draw it up. But Trigg's got a medium there. I mean, during the spring, you saw where he wasn't still wasn't lining up correctly sometimes, and Lane was getting frustrated with him. It's just, it's just a continuation, and it's it's a little bit of a weird dynamic too. And I and I haven't noticed Jackson doing anything to create some issue. Again, do not get me wrong here. I've not seen anything on the field or whatever, but it's a little bit of a weird deal when he's also best friends with Jackson Dart. Yeah, I know. I get it that I mean, not that they were literally a package deal, but I mean they made it pretty clear like where you go, I go in the portal. They've been close from the get-go. That is a very, a very interesting element. And like that, what makes it also fascinating is the last version that you just described, where in a perfect world they're on the field wrecking defenses over the middle, is still very much within reach and with impossible. It just seems to be completely in Michael Triggs court to make that come to reality at this point. It's about all I had for three, four days into camp. The only other thing I wanted to get to today was I was sitting in my office on Friday. I got home, finished up writing a newsletter that I put out that was all a little misfocused. And I kind of looked up and I was like, oh, I missed some widespread, like bigger picture college football news, it appears. The Pac-12 died. And I guess maybe it didn't really move the needle as much for me because I expected it. Um, I think we probably could have predicted the Pac-12's demise for a couple of years now with the way things are trending. But what did you make of Friday in college football where it became – 
you know, printable, writable, pretty much set in stone that one of the five major conferences that's, you know, been a part of this sport for a long time is in all likelihood either going to cease to exist or going to exist in a version that is so diluted to anything that we're used to that they're just a non-factor when we talk about the highest level of college football. Did that would that interest you Friday at all, or is it just more of the same that you thought you'd heard for the last couple of years? I, I'm going to answer your question in a second, but real quick, Bryson DeChambeau shot 58 today. Yeah, I caught that right before we started recording. He shot a 58 with a par on – his last a bogey on one. Yeah. If the bogey shot 58 with a bogey. So he can still okay. tell people he left a couple out there, I guess. <laughs> Pretty impressive stuff. I'm not a big, I don't know. Is it set up the same way that the Greenbrier was always set up on the PGA tour? I would assume so. And that's always a birdie fest. I mean, pretty similarly, but I mean, still, I, I can't, <laughs> what I'm not okay, going to do is next someone just... for shooting sub 60. <laughs> I'm not going to – I put an asterisk next to a 58. I just can't do that because I've played in four-man scrambles that shot that and worse. I was about to say, yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't – we we, we, we did we, we would have gotten beat by like five the other day uh, in uh, in Ambry. So, yeah, I, I get that. But it's it's kind of like – what was it? Was it who, who was it? Was it Sergio or Justin Rose that was like, y'all are just putting all the, all the pins in the middle of the green here for the Ryder Cup or whatever? We're not yeah. having that set up at the green briar? It doesn't matter. You could put the pin – I don't know, 60 yards shorter, make each hole 60 yards shorter. If you shoot 58, you did something pretty awesome. All right. All right. So we're not, we're not going to bag on DeChambeau right now. No, uh, if it was like a 59 at a par 70, I might leave room for it. But if you shoot 58, I'm just going to let you have you. Cause game. you took all doubt out. You went, okay, sure. All right. Yes. Got the if you shot 58 no. with a bogey, then Hey man, you, you were pretty great today. I'll just let you have your moment. Even if you are a dork. I like him more now that he's slimmed back down. I hate him less when he's not all bucked up for whatever reason. I even I had know. a moment where I thought he was like, okay, maybe we're just coming around and we didn't get this guy or maybe he's come a little more self-aware. And then you had the rope incident and some of the other things he said recently. And I'm just like, right, this guy just is who he is. I do like skinny Bryson DeChambeau more, but from a personality standpoint, I'm, I'm good. Okay. So pack 12, two things. And these are both true. On one hand, I'm with you. Not shocked at all. Uh, they had no one watch their games. They were in a time zone that is very hard for the Eastern and the Central time zones to watch their games. They were set up to fail in this era of college football. There's no doubt about that. The, 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 it, well, but by a lot of people, by the cities they're in. I mean, L.A., I get they're going to the Big Ten. But in general, the West Coast has a lot of other stuff going on. They don't care as much about athletics. College athletics are not as ingrained in their psyche as they are in the Midwest and the South and the places where it really, really rolls, even in Texas and a lot of Big 12 stops. Um, university presidents have made tons of bad decisions. They had two commissioners in a row that have been just God awful, Larry Scott. And then now the current dude, whose name escapes me, Kappa cough or whatever it is. Um, and when you have those things going on, no one wants to pay for your game. So the fact that they ended up with Apple, look, it was a failure by the commissioner because you could have done better than that. If you were aggressive, you can't tell me that if Greg Sankey was in charge of the pac 12, it would Apple would have been their only option for a broadcasting network. But at the same time, I get it. I mean, if you're ESPN, what am I paying for? What's left? What is it going to look like? Why am I doing that in these time zones that nobody else is paying attention, especially when you look at it in Big Tens and on NBC at night? You know, you've got the SEC. It's going to have some doubleheader stuff. They're going to play some night games to compete. I mean, it just just is what it is. So from an economic money standpoint, as, as dumb as economics are in college football and college athletics in general, that one, I just sort of shrugged my shoulders and went, yeah, duh. 
Now, on the other hand, and I kind of went on a little rant on this on Thursday on the OEP, I don't like where this is headed. It bugs me. Um, I miss – I'm not as much as some people, but I miss regional regional rivalries. I miss having areas of the country that had DNA and had identities inside their conference on what that football was like and us having those conversations and, and going that route of what, what all was encompassed in that. And that sucks. I mean, it sucks that there's not – you know, the Pac-12 game and this and this and all these different things because I mentioned Ole Miss on this on Thursday, and if you heard this, then sorry, you just deal with me for 30 seconds. Look, the big games are the big games. I get it. I mean, yes, Ole Miss playing Oklahoma, playing Texas, that's cool. That's really, really cool. I got no problem with that at all. It makes sense. But on these teams that are going into the new leagues, if you're not going into something that's pretty damn special every week, Fans want you to play the teams that they have emotional history with when you play them. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, when Ole Miss plays Arkansas, a lot of Ole Miss fans are going to be kind of a little more juiced up that week because they remember 2015. They remember, you know, all these things. They remember 2008 with Houston and all this stuff that went on. I mean, there's there's baggage that is in a good way emotional for college athletics because college football is built on two things, absurdity and emotion. That's it. It's not the NFL. It's not built to be the best football on earth. Now, it's damn good football, but it's not the NFL. It's not showcasing the best ever, and this is what this looks like. No, your your heartstrings, your emotion, you're stupid. You're spending 16 hours following this dumb product that plays two-point conversions in their overtime at this point. It's all these things. It's why you like college football. And the Pac-12 being dead, or frankly, geographic conferences being dead, even take it beyond the, the Pac-12, it sucks. It really does. It sucks. I I, I don't like it. Um, I said Thursday that on a one-off, sure, but if you had to do it every year, Ole Miss fans would rather play Tulane than Indiana. And I think I'm right. Indiana's a Power 5 school, whatever. They'd rather play the Green Wave. Let me go to New Orleans and do that instead of Bloomington, Indiana every two years. I think so too, because it's just hard to get there um, for most yeah, people, depending where. Well, you are and you don't care. I mean, it takes yeah. years to build that up. I mean, this would be a question for Arkansas fans because look, they finally got there, but they still got into a conference that was regional. But when they left the Southwest Conference, how many teams did they really feel like? Oh, we're going to play Mississippi State. Let me tell you how that feels. Right. Well, I didn't have anything, but at least it was six hours down the road, and it's like okay, well, but that's. That's our new people. That's our neighbors. I understand it from that standpoint. You know, a USC fan now is going, hold on a minute. I play Illinois this weekend in my conference game. Yeah. And why do I care? Because it's what I can't get past. And I said it Thursday, and I understand it from coaching salaries, and I understand it sort of from facilities. But it's not even the era we're in. Everybody keeps talking about, yeah, but you got more money. Okay, and then what happens to it? Where does it go? What difference does it make? And the viewers like, don't see like it yet. tangibly, what does that actually do for anybody, and especially for a fan? Oh well, no, we're doing this because my school has one hundred and thirty-four million instead of one hundred and sixteen million. Okay, great. Yeah, where does that show up for you? I mean. Hell, the money's been increasing for a decade. Now they're asking you to donate to collectives. I mean, like... Ole Miss's entire athletic budget in like 2007 was like $49 million. Wow. That was but that growth hasn't ago. changed anything for the fan. It hasn't made anything better. No, the fan's in worse shape. Now my tickets are more expensive. Um, I, yeah, I have to basically buy the players. 
Um, I'm getting asked to donate. And again, this is not a shot at Denson or any of those guys because it's just their job and it's the yeah. reality they're in right now. But yeah, you're getting asked to pull from every direction. I and mean, it's why I've talked about this for months is it's the mid-level donor who's the most hurt because that mid-level donor is the person who budgeted money to do these things. And now they look up and go, hold on a minute. I'm not going to Disney World or I'm not going to Napa with my wife or my family. And instead I'm paying one... 15th for a defensive back transfer from pick your school in the Mac. I mean, like I, it just doesn't, it doesn't compute for those guys when they start really looking at it versus, Hey, no, we're all in this together and we're doing this and it's for this. And it's, Hey, hey I'm just giving to the overall, I think in some ways earmarking for NIL is a great thing. And it's also one of the things that could be a problem down the road because, you know, it's hypothetical. Let Lane Kiffin and let football go six and six. Again, I'm not. I, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to win seven or eight games. But let them go six and six. Let Chris Beard get Brandon Murray and Cisse eligible and go to the Sweet Sixteen. Have a magical first weekend run in year one. Can't say it's impossible. I mean, he's damn good. Well, suddenly a lot of money's being earmarked to basketball. Suddenly that guy goes, hold on a minute. I'm not just giving to the Grove Collective. I'm giving to the Grove Collective for basketball. I want Chris Beard to have my money. I want to do that. What's that do to the football program? What happens? Fewer general donations, all these different things. Okay, that's that that that's that's that side of it. The other side is I've been given to these, you know, I've been given to the general thing for the Grove Collective. I've been given to this. Well, a couple of sports have bad terms, and I've been instead of taking a vacation, I gave to the collective or I gave to whatever. Yeah. Okay. Why'd I do that? What, what what was I doing? What, where did my money go? What did you do with it? Why? Because there's some schools right now across the country going, okay, if we max this out and don't give anything to baseball or women's basketball or basketball or whatever it is that they do other than football, what can we do? What, what What's the, the range here on how good we can be? Okay. If we max out football and don't give it to anything else, can we go nine and three? Okay. Well, if we don't give any of that, what do we go? Seven and five? And it's like, okay, is it worth – bombing the other sports to win two more football games. And maybe it is. I'm not saying it is or isn't. I'm just saying those are the conversations that are happening all across the country, though, because it's a finite amount of money. It's not guaranteed year over year. It is more indicative of the fan base every time. Because, I look, this is going to happen. There's going to be an SEC coach this year that loses a football game, gets frustrated, walks into a press conference and goes, well, if we just had more NIL money, we would have won the game. Yep. So you lost the game you should have won, and you just blame the fans for losing it. Good luck. It's not great. It's it's a rough rough time to be a fan, as you stated numerous times. And the last piece on the Pac-12, Corey, I had one more question about what it means for Ole Miss in the future. And some of this is just an age thing. The All the bad leadership, was there a tie-in to us having shorter attention spans and it being harder to get people to go to games? Because when I was a kid – I never really re like remembered, and again, this is just me. I didn't think about things the same way. Clearly, I was a child, but like I never remember turning on a cow game and it looking like it did when I went out there in 2017. There's no one there. There's like a couple people camping above the stadium because they don't want to go in. It's completely dead. Like they show the farm at Stanford, and there's no one in the stands. And you'll show an Arizona or Arizona State game, and it's half full. I don't remember that being the case of the Pac-12 when I was a kid. Has that changed as well as their leadership has gotten significantly worse too? Because it's it's like it's not shocking. And then it's the it's the Stanford and the cows 
university leadership really just going in a totally different direction, not to make it like political. But I just don't remember that being the case in the early 2000s, even if the league wasn't as good. I just don't remember the lack of fan interest, even at the non-LA schools. It's gotten worse, um, for sure. There's been there's just more entertainment things to do in those areas, period. I mean, you're just, you know, it's not it's not it's not even a good or a bad thing for the region. It's just the truth. And then, you know, they get alienated inside. I mean, you mentioned that. You mentioned ADs and university presidents making bad decisions. Well, that impacts your attendance. That impacts the number of fans that give a crap to do that on Saturday for you. It's no, it's definitely worse. Um and it was the one thing that I just got so frustrated with over the course of the media over those days is, oh, my God, how do you not put Cal and Stanford in your conference? It's the number one athletic department in the country. It's like, oh, shut up. Yeah, like, no, what not. do they do for you football-wise? No, the- nobody's paying for freaking water polo national yeah, titles. Rowing. It's like, who cares? Like, it just – yeah, crew. Okay, well, great. I mean, They let's couldn't set even it have a the team. 50. They'd have to stay in whatever conference they were. I don't know how that <laughs> works, but, like, if you're going to the ACC or the Big Ten, you're not you're not playing crew. I don't even know what that is. It's like rowing. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. You're not doing that in Iowa. No, you're not having ACC game of the week, Stanford at Clemson crew. Like, we don't do yeah, that it, here. Like, that's not – water polo road con- – or. Polo contest in Madison, Wisconsin. It's just not going to happen. Like that's that's just not a selling point at all. It's just a dumb, lazy talking point. I mean, so what happens to those sports? Even if they got in somewhere, do they become club sports? Do you stay in your random league? I mean, is is water polo actually a Pac-12 sport, or is it a sport like rifle? That's the Great American Rifle Conference that Ole Miss is in. I literally have no idea. I would assume it's closer to the rivalry thing, but the fact that that's not brought up is just kind of underscores that no one cares to ask the question. It doesn't make any sense. Like, I I don't really know. And the last piece of it, and the last thing I wanted to hit was Weldon hit me with an interesting question as this is all unfolding on Friday, was he's like, Ole Miss and State better start having, and he wasn't saying like they need to do this or not doing their job. He's like, I just wonder if they're having conversations about what this means for the future. Then I simultaneously kind of saw Stu Mandel put out a article that he wrote for the athletic in 2018 or 19 or whatever it was about like a me- it all heading toward one mega conference. He had a 2018 hypothetical that did not include the Mississippi schools, but somehow included South Carolina and the two Mex- New Mexico schools, whatever, not a perfect thing. I don't necessarily think he meant anything by that. 2018 was a different time, but there are a lot of people that seem to think it's coming toward one mega league. Do you think Ole Miss and State should feel worried at all if that is the case? Um, I tend to believe no, by the way. No, I don't think we're anywhere close to that. Because here's the deal. And this is probably a whole other podcast. So if you want to come back next week, we we'll probably go really dive into this because I find it a hugely fascinating topic and would actually take my mind off the day-to-day of the football program for a minute. Um no, for a couple of reasons. It's in much the same way that people argue, well, they should just do this and they should make these rules that are completely against the teams that are in the main conferences right now. It's hold on a minute. Why would the conferences ever agree to that? What, right. Why would anyone sign a piece of paper that's a detriment to their own being and whatever they're in? Um, that would be TV kicking out members of conferences, the Big Ten and the SEC specifically in the conversation we're having, and going, nope, we want to bring these people in, and we are just taking charter members and throwing them to the wayside. We don't care. Well, they're contractually bound to those conferences. They're not breaking any rules. Probation is not a precedent for kicking anyone out of a conference outside of the Southwest disbanding disbanding completely. There's just no legal ramification. So you would have to change the framework 
to the entire conference to make that possible. Well, last time I checked, that took a majority vote to do that. The TV networks can't change conference charter. And if you're a team that even potentially down the road in 20 or 30 or 70 years could be on that block, why the hell would you agree with that? You would say no, and you would move on about your business. Um, And then at some point, and I asked Jeffrey this on Thursday, and he and I disagree, and that's fine. He's really good at what he does. At some point, there just isn't enough money for them to be in this type of power anymore. Yeah. ESPN is bleeding. Disney is bleeding. Fox Sports does not have unlimited money. At some point, the conference needs to look up and go, hey, we're the number two sports league in the in the world or the, the country outside of the NFL because I think college football is more popular than in, in the NBA as a whole. And because of that, no, we're going to run it more like the NBA, NBA NFL. We're going to say this is the way our product looks the best. We want you to cover it. You're going to pay us a ton of money to broadcast it, but we're not giving you everything to do so because that's what's happening right now. I mean, look, the athletic directors and the university presidents who are frustrated and going, oh, my God, this is all run by a corporation. Well, of course, because you put a corporation in charge. Yep. You put TV in charge. So once you put a corporation in charge, yes, they're going to run it like a business. That's what they do. You don't care about, you know, that you don't get to pick what time your games start. You don't get to pick what networks they're on. You, now you don't even really pick who's in your conferences for the most part. So, no, I mean, it, it's not a shock at all. But, no, I don't think either one of those schools are in that level of trouble anywhere near soon. And, frankly – Barring something unexpected, Ole Miss is not in danger, even if they started chopping teams from those two conferences. They've got a lot of brand rating. I mean, the Wall Street Journal read, did that thing last year on, I guess, revenue or exposure or whatever it was off college football teams. Ole Miss was like 23. They were ahead of USC um, from a national money, from a whole deal. I mean, no, you're 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 a power enough to to not have to worry about that conversation. It's the And look, they're about to trim fat anyway. I mean, from a Power Five standpoint, you know, Duke is in trouble. Wake Forest is in trouble. Stanford's in trouble. Cal's in trouble. I mean, Vanderbilt would absolutely be the first SEC team that's in trouble. Um, now, Mississippi State might be second, but no, we're. I mean, that 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 would take the changing of laws and precedents to a level that I just don't don't think we're anywhere near right now. I think that's a good way to put it. And even if it didn't, you mentioned the fat trimming piece of it there are already more than 30, 28 schools that are desirable and care. Like the whole two, like I could get behind like the big 10 and the sec being the only two conferences. Eventually you got the two mega leagues, but I just don't understand like a 28 or a 30 team, one team league. We still got like 40, 50 schools that care that are somewhat desirable. You know what I mean? Like that you just don't include them just to be at 30. I I never understood that piece of it as well, but it was just kind of fascinating to think about. Because we're not, to your point, we're not at the point where only the SEC and Big Ten teams care, where we go, you know what, you're the AFC and you're the NFC and we're just going to play our own championship. Right. The hell with everybody else. And all of it takes time. I mean, it took a hell of a lot of time to get to this point, too. I don't know what the next version is, but it could be under operating under a completely different set of circumstances. It's just it's crazy to think about. And it's fascinating in some levels and sad in others. So I don't know. That's a that's a fascinating thing for probably like you mentioned, a podcast for another day. He is Chase Parham. I appreciate the time as always. Good luck covering camp. And I'm sure we'll chat again soon. Sounds good, bud. That'll do it for our show today. Got a couple more shows for you coming down the pipe. Going to check in with LB's Greg, maybe look at some NFL divisional picks, some college football futures, and hopefully a player interview that I'm working on in between. We'll see, but a couple more podcasts coming as the football content grind churns on. Appreciate you listening. As always, we'll holler at you on Wednesday.